Welcome to the fifth episode of BAI Communications Smart Communities podcast, where we speak with business leaders and industry experts to ask them what the future holds for connectivity. In the first part of this special two-part episode, we are excited to be joined by Susan Shaheen, Professor in Civil and Environmental Engineering at UC Berkeley and Co-Director of the Transportation Sustainability Research Centre. Interviewing her is Brendan O'Reilly, Group CTO for BAI Communications. In part one, Brendan and Susan discuss the findings from BAI's recent Connectivity Outlook report. They examine what it will take for transport authorities to recover their ridership and what technologies we need to ensure people can return to travel safely. Hello and welcome to the latest edition of our BAI podcast. Today I'm joined by Susan Shaheen, who is Professor of Civil and Environmental Engineering and Co-Director of the Transportation Sustainability Research Centre at UC Berkeley. Hello, Susan. Hello. Thanks so much for inviting me to join you today. Thank you so much for for joining us. Uh, we, We recently had our Connectivity Outlook report come out and it's not the first year that you've You've seen this report, so I was, uh, I was wondering what your initial thoughts were on having read it two years in a row and anything that stood out for you. Oh, it's, an, it's an exciting report, and particularly I found it exciting looking at it at the two different years because one year captured data prior to COVID, and this year is, is capturing the COVID response and the reaction of transit passengers to their needs and how those needs are changing. And I think one thing that really stood out to me is that about 83% of riders are really leaning into cleanliness and safety. And that comes of no surprise, but that's not something we were typically seeing prior to COVID showing up in data. So I thought that was was really an interesting point. And I know we're going to get into many others. Yeah, no, I, I think that's great because, you know, we, we had a, a catch up before we recorded this pod. And, you know, you mentioned the fact that having two reports, one pre-COVID, one very much in the midst of COVID, gave a really interesting aspect on the data. And you, and you touched on the, the cleanliness aspect. Is there anything else that really stood out from the global data for you? Yeah, I think, you know, 91% of people expect that world-class cities that have public transit systems should be providing seamless mobile coverage above ground. So that means people want that connectivity, that ability to communicate with friends and family and colleagues. And I think those numbers are are really quite high. I don't know mm-hmm. what your thoughts are on that. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Uh, it, it was one of the more surprising aspects of, of the report. And I think um, I actually I'm quite look, I don't want to get ahead of ourselves, but I'm quite looking forward to the next report because I'm hoping that that will be a set of data in a, in a post-COVID world. Because as you said, we've got pre, we're sort of in the midst and hopefully we'll have a set of data on, on post and that will give us a real clear indication of how of how transportation and connectivity has changed in sort of a two to three year period. But one of the one of the, the things that I was quite interested in was, could you explain a bit more about the concept of choice or sort of non-dependent versus dependent riders? Yeah, this is a concept that's been around for a long time. I think as long as I've been studying public transit, which is over two decades, is this idea of more dependent or essential riders. So people who don't own a car or, or have easy access to a car. So they really depend on our public transit networks for their accessibility and to get around. And then you have more of your choice riders. So people who have the choice to take a car 
or some other means of transit. It could be a transportation network company like an Uber or mm-hmm. uh, carpooling with a, a colleague or friend, but they choose to take public transit. And one of the, the things that we've seen in the data, particularly following March of 2020, when COVID hit globally, was just this dramatic decline in transit ridership across the globe. I've seen numbers across the globe at like 80 to 90% declines in public transit. And where we saw people continuing to ride transit, not surprisingly, were the transit dependent. And we saw a lot of those choice riders, they were working from home and they're still working from home, many of them. So I think a focus on those two populations is perhaps more important than ever, because how can we sustain public transit if those choice riders go away or don't come back? Yeah, it's a really good point, actually. And I I hadn't really thought uh, if I think about London, where I live and and the fact that, you know, we have this congestion charge zone where you have to pay to drive into it. It's almost like uh, we're trying to force people to become more dependent riders than non-dependent riders by by charging them more to, to to use their cars and i suppose is it important for transport authorities to develop services which encourage both ridership types or, or should should they be prioritizing one over the other and trying to drive drive uh, drive one side of that coin really yeah that's a a really interesting question my personal view is is that we've got to take care of our transit dependent and we've got to increase the quality of those services. And in many cases, what we've seen here, at least in the US, is pulling back of the number of transit lines or bus lines or the headways, the frequency of the transit. And I feel like in this moment where we're really focusing on social equity and racial justice is the importance of really providing high quality services for those individuals that do not have a choice. That's my personal opinion. Clearly, we're gonna have to bring everybody back in order to have a resilient system. And so my thinking is, is if you start improving the overall quality of these services, listening to surveys like yours, where people are clearly indicating what their priorities are, then hopefully we can bring everybody back. But I do think two things. There is a role for government policy and funding. So things like pricing are incredibly important instruments to to move people away from car dependency and use. And transit's a way to provide access to everybody, so not to penalize people who can't pay. So that I think is super important, along with just also trying to understand the changing dynamics of the workplace and that choice rider. So really honing in on what type of a package do they need with their new work schedules, which are often going to be hybrid coming back. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a really good point. I think the way the workplace of the future and, you know, our our CEO, Igor Prince, did did a blog the other day where he talked about he was quite annoyed at the term return to work, you know, because everybody had been working. It was about a return to the office and that's very different. Um, but but that sort of hybrid working as people do return or don't return, 
and how that affects transportation authorities is is key. And I suppose one of the the, the things that was highlighted in this year's research was a greater demand for safety and cleanliness on public transport, um, even overtaking you know things like timeliness or reliability, uh, which which is mind blowing really when 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 you think about how important being on time is for for public transportation. As we're dealing with subsequent variants, and obviously as we're recording this, we're in the middle of the Omicron um, variant in in a number of countries around the world. How should we be viewing the role that technology can play to make ridership more sustainable um, for the future? Technology, I think, can play a really important role in delivering information to people about the trains and the buses and and the, the number of people that are on them so that people have a better sense of, am I, am I going to be in a crowded situation? Is it, is it going to have enough room for me to space out to be safe? Are, are people masking? I think technology can really deliver a lot of information that can grow the confidence of the traveling public into getting back on public transit, particularly those choice riders who have not been riding transit as much. But I think we should use technology, but we should also develop technological approaches that can be used in informing people who don't have access to smartphone technology or the bandwidth, the cellular plans, right? So everybody has access to that information to to make them more comfortable with with a, getting back on a train or a bus. Yeah, I think that the idea of, of, of access for everybody, especially in a safety point of view, we've seen uh, in in the UK and in the US a number of cases of, of public safety around transportation and the feeling that there are parts of our society that feel vulnerable on public transportation, especially at nighttime. Um, the idea of that data being available so that people can feel safe, they can be contacted, they can be, uh, they, they can reach out for help, I think is a really important aspect of connectivity where safety plays a really big role. And um, I suppose one of the challenges that we face is how do you do that without invading people's privacy, right? Because privacy is still a really important part. How do you keep people safe by using data and using their location without infringing on, on their rights as, as humans around privacy? It's a big challenge, right? I think it's a really important question for our society is if we're asking people to share their data so that we can aggregate their data and provide better service, making sure that it's it's clear to them that they're benefiting. And I think in this no, sort of new mobile age of transportation by app, sometimes the benefits of sharing your data are really not clear. And it's also not clear whether or not those data could be used against you. For example, by using it to uh, evaluate your sensitivity to pricing. So profiting from surge-based pricing mechanisms, these types of things. And in research we do across the globe, we hear a lot of consumer concerns about a lack of transparency about where their data are going. And since public transit, at least in my opinion, is a public good, that transparency really should be very clear and the benefits to everyone of sharing that data should be clear. 
Yeah, absolutely. I think one of the key takeaways from the report, from, from my point of view, was that the digital experience was, was going to be a key lever in getting people back on board public transport. And, you know, as you said, being transparent about how data is going to be used is is really key there. So as well as the transparency, um, which technologies are likely to have the biggest impact um, on on that digital experience and, and getting people more comfortable with getting back on, on transport? Well, travel time and travel cost always factor very high in transportation demand research. So I think making sure that the travel times and the travel costs are very clear along with other types of benefits like, like that social distancing provision. For example, if, if we are addressing a pandemic or current variants or future variants, providing access to that data as well. But when it comes to public transit, I think one of the, the reasons why it, it is challenged to compete with things like the private auto is that travel time and travel costs, particularly in countries like the United States, where relatively speaking, we don't pay as much for gas, although our gas prices have gone up here. And, and because we don't have that land densification across the board, you know, maybe we have it in a handful of cities, that the penalties for having to make a transfer should be reduced as much as possible. So that that travel time and that connectivity, which was another really great data point that, that I mentioned earlier, was that people want this mobile, seamless experience. I, I thought it was I thought it was great that that people are seeing connectivity and that seamless experience as a as a key aspect of, of feeling good about the return. Part of making that seamless experience is, you know, we've touched on data already, but the use of data to 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 predict uh, um, what might happen and therefore personalised travel experiences. Um, how how do you think predictive technologies will help the personalisation of of travel of the future, and how will that help public transport compete with other forms of transport? Uh, this is a topic I love to talk about. A lot of the research we've done within the last year does indicate here in the Bay Area, so I'm in the San Francisco Bay Area as we're speaking right now, that people are starting to really have a higher expectation of customization of their experiences on a mobile platform associated with transportation because of the ubiquity of this technology. And I, I've found this actually quite interesting because I've not seen this before. And I think it is a reflection of how smart technology is becoming. It's tracking us, right? It's predicting yeah. where we might want to shop, how we travel. This shows up right on Google Maps. It shows up when we're shopping online that the systems are studying us and learning us. So. Yeah. It's logical in many ways to think that that expectation could be transferred over to transportation. Like, why would it be unique from any other type of experience? Absolutely. I, I, and I think, you know, you talk about shopping online, but it's, it's in store as well. Like if you go into an Amazon store, um, tracking your movement, understanding what you are and are not picking up and putting down and, 
you know that the the, the ability to use data for, for that i think is is an amazing step forward in retail and one that transportation and cities could could learn from in terms of you know are there any cities around the world that you see as being really stand out from a rider experience point of view or any transportation authorities and uh, and any sort of key examples that we not just at BAI but you know in in other cities can learn from i believe it was dubai that i looked at who seem to also be using non-invasive technology to do essentially temperature checks on people. So they weren't even necessarily aware when they were walking through the airport that that was happening in particular corridors. And they were actually really beautiful. Like, like they look like fish tanks or something. So you'd walk through it and you weren't necessarily realizing that there was technology there to just behind the scenes, check your temperature. So I think this idea of, of embedding these types of supportive technologies to protect us would, would be a really great way for transit to, to prepare for future disturbances and to make everybody much more calm about the experience. Yeah, I, I think you're right. I, I'm I'm amazed by the the fish tank temperature checking uh, technology. I think that's fantastic, and I think it goes back to the point we talked about how we're using people's data and, and whether we're intruding. I think there's a an aspect maybe in sort of certainly in Western society where you'd have to be a bit more transparent about the fact that it was happening. I think, um, mm -hmm. but you know there is a role for cities and transportation authorities around the world to to keep us safe and you know if that is as simple as taking people's temperature and identifying um you know those who, who whose temperatures are high and letting them know so they can make informed choices then that sounds like a, a great step forward for me in yeah i should do it with beauty right design it in a way that you know it's like okay i know i'm getting my temperature taken but it's it's not invasive and yeah. everybody's walking through this beautiful tube like experience with fish it's calming and and then we're all safe and it's letting me know wow yeah. i'm I'm, a, I'm running a fever yeah yeah well, you'd rather know wouldn't you i think that's the thing that with sort of the pandemic has, has sort of brought to the fore you know many times people would feel a little bit under the weather and they they carry on through now you know you feel a little bit under the weather you take a test and you understand whether you do or do not um, have have COVID and, and, and that is a, a massive step forward from where we were where people would almost feel like you know they had to work through if they were feeling a little under weather now it's now actually I'm putting other people at risk if I do that and you know if we can use technology to help cities run more efficiently by identifying those who whose temperatures are high or, or other aspects and give choice to that to that person you know um, I think that's a really positive step forward because it's not about using it against them it's about enabling them to make decisions.